All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, back on here with our Messianic Prophecy Studies. Um, thankful for all those who, uh, who joined in. I'm pretty sure we're going to be having more folks coming in here uh, in a little bit. <clears throat> um, so where we stopped a couple weeks ago, we didn't meet last week. We had uh, Memorial Day. Hope everybody had a good Memorial Day. Um, we spent the entire time uh, talking about Genesis chapter three, um, wasn't sure, you know, kind of, kind of where, uh, how far I was going to get. I was under this naive kind of impression, uh, that I was going to get through all the stuff in Genesis. Uh, but yeah, that, that didn't happen. So, um, we, we discussed the, the background of this, the, the serpent tempting, you know, Adam and, and Eve here, um, and the, the fall of mankind. And then the, pronouncement that God made where he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Uh, you shall bruise him on the head, but he shall, uh, uh, or sorry, he shall bruise you on the head, but you shall uh, bruise him on the heel. And we talked about how that word for bruising, when it's talking about the bruising on the head, that the seed of woman was going to do was, was actually a crushing, um, that it wasn't going to, gonna the serpent wasn't going to survive that. And we looked at all that uh, and kind of where all that, that flowed into in, in some of the New Testament stuff uh, about how the church and the Christians do the exact same thing. So, so what we see then from the progression of prophecy and how it's, how it's moving forward, we see that, that this, <coughs> excuse me, this sin that Adam and Eve committed did not take God by surprise. He was perfectly um, prepared for it and actually already had the solution in place, uh, which is really kind of important for us to kind of recognize there. Um, next, we're going to be moving over to Genesis chapter 6. Now, this one is <clears throat> its one of those prophecies that, and I'll be upfront, it might not be a prophecy, but it might be. And when you look at what's actually being stated here and kind of how it's all um, coming together, it kind of makes sense as a prophecy, but you know, that's not, that's not, a, good, that's not a good standard of hermeneutics. It's not a good standard of, of interpreting the Bible. Um, it's not, hey, that kind of makes sense, you know, so I guess that's what God had in mind here. Um, not at all, but it, it does um, fit into kind of God's work in here. So we have that God's going to send somebody born of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And then in, in um, I'm sorry, uh, I said Genesis 6. I meant Genesis 9. Sorry. Um, don't know why I was thinking Genesis 9. It has to do with Noah, so maybe that's why I was thinking Genesis 6. Uh, but Genesis 9, this is after the flood. After the flood. Um, and <clears throat> we see in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, uh, it says... It says, uh, then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father uh, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. Now, when Noah woke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. 
So we look at the text there and we see, you know, Canaan did, or Ham did something kind of bad. Um, the text seems to indicate that it was a little bit, maybe a lot a bit more um, than just beholding the nakedness of his father. Um, and sometimes in the Old Testament, the father, the, the, the wife of the husband can be called the father's name or the, the, the man's nakedness. So we don't really know exactly what took place. I think he's being vague on, on purpose here. Um, but obviously it was something pretty bad uh, that, that took place here. Um, so what ends up taking place is what, what, what I think we're seeing here is almost like um, a patriarchal blessing, a patriarchal prophecy. When you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, especially Jacob, and we'll get to him a little bit later on out of Genesis 49, the patriarchal blessings um, were done by the fathers to the children, and they were prophetic. Uh, for example, you remember the whole thing with Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Esau, how Jacob stole the blessing uh, from Esau and pretended to be Esau, and, and, Jake, Aaron and Isaac laid his hands there and gave him the prophecy and when Esau came in, Isaac was pretty upset and, and he's like, you know, hey, do you have a prophecy for me, father? And he said, well, yeah. And he told him, you know, you're going to serve your older, your, your younger brother. Uh, and Esau was pretty upset with that, right? We remember how all that went. Um, these were prophetic. These are prophetic. Now, I kind of wonder, being that they were prophetic, if Jacob would have just been Jacob and not pretended to be Esau, if the blessing would have been the exact same, because again, they were prophetic from God, not the blessing that the father wanted to give to, to the child. So I think that might be what we see here, because this is obviously prophetic, because it's exactly what happened. So he says, curse be Canaan, which is Ham's child. It's not that, Ham, or not that Canaan is bearing the punishment for Ham, um, but, uh, but you know, what we get here is he said, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. That's exactly what happened. Remember, you know, the, who Shem is, we, we talk about the, you know, people of Jewish descent and, and, uh, we say that if someone is anti-Jewish, they're anti-Semitic. That's where they get that from. Shem, Sem, it's the same letter in Hebrew. So anti-Shemitic, anti-Semitic, same kind of thing. So they're actually referring back to, to Shem, uh, the, the child of uh, Noah here, because that's where the Israelites came from. Um, so remember what they did to the Canaanites. They completely overran them. So when it says, curse be Canaan, the servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. That's exactly what happened. And then he says, blessed be uh, the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be a servant. Again, that's what happens. So there, there's a tremendous blessing for, for Shem here. Then there's a little bit of a blessing here for, for Japheth as well. It says, may God enlarge Japheth. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. It says, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. In, in, the, in the New American Standard that I just read of, it kind of is giving you the indication where it says, let him dwell in the tents of Shem, that's talking about Japheth. And it says, let Canaan be his servant. But actually in the Hebrew, what it could be is it could be referring back to God. In other words, <clears throat> let God dwell in the tents of Shem. So what this could, and again, it's to me, it's kind of a flip of a coin, whether this is a prophecy or not. So if a skeptic ever came up and said, hey, prove prove the Bible's word of God, this isn't one of the prophecies I'd go to. All right. Um, 
just wouldn't wouldn't go there because it's not something that you can you can prove. But if if it's talking about let God dwell in the tents of Shem, this could be the next step in the the the, the progression of the messianic prophecy. So remember in Genesis three, we've got the seed of woman, so we know that he would be human. Now we see the one who's going to dwell in the tents of Shem, the Israelites or the founder of the Israelites would be God. So could be, could be maybe 50-50, you know, chance that he's now streaming it down to Shem. Because again, think about it this way. We had the world destroyed and out of Noah, there's three descendants. What God could be doing here is letting us know what line to look for um, any kind of, of Messiah that's going to be coming. And as we see what happens to the rest of Genesis, we see that the line gets further narrowed down to, to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to Judah. So we see, we're seeing a narrowing down. All right. First, he's human, then he's Shem, then he's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. So this could be might not be. Either way, you can trace Abram's lineage back and you can trace it back to Shem anyway. So there's, there's not a problem tracing that back. Um, so this one was just kind of a, kind of a side note, uh, just not really, you know, anything too emphatic, too specific. Um, but I just figured I'd mention it kind of like a, almost like a, like a free bonus one. Um, if it, if it is one, it, again, it makes sense in the, in the progression. Any questions or comments on that? Nope. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah. Rob, go ahead. Yeah. This is Rob. So, um, the grammar of verse 27, I suppose would make the difference, right? God, this is the way mine got, God enlarged Jephthah and let him dwell in tents of Shem. Well, hymns can refer back to God, most likely, or possibly Jephthah, right? Yeah, yeah. In the Hebrew, the the antecedent to the to the hymn here is a little bit ambiguous, so we were not quite sure if it's God or, or Japheth. It could be either one in the grammar. So one of the things to recognize about Hebrew grammar, um, it's, it's nowhere near as specific as English and nowhere near as specific as Greek. It's actually very, very kind of general. I mean, there's definitely rules and you can get specific if you want to. Um, but in this particular case, it's, it's still kind of vague.
Right. Yeah. The, the typology and the imagery is, is pretty striking. And you're right. You know, you can't necessarily use that as, you know, a proof um, as opposed to like a regular prophecy, which would, which would definitely be more like a proof. And with this specific one, you know, there's nothing in the New Testament that even mentions this um, whatsoever. So, um, yeah, there's, there's just, I was just throwing it in there as kind of like that extra one uh, that, you know, might, maybe, maybe not. Okay. Yep. That's it. All right, cool. Um, so next we'll go to, or any other questions or comments on that? Okay, uh, Genesis 12. Now we get into kind of the fun stuff, I think. So um, now we're getting into the breaking down of God actually picking specific individuals and certain lines of people um, as to, you know, who's going to uh, be the chosen line. Now, this first guy we're going to be talking about, he starts off as Abram, uh, you know, gets, gets uh, uh, rebranded, uh, you know, as, as Abraham, right? Uh, and, you know, the difference between the name kind of signifies that, you know, Abraham being, being father of, of many, father of a multitude, uh, you know, definitely a really good name change, especially when the guy didn't have any kids before and, and everybody's kind of barren and not having any, any kids. So <clears throat> we, we get to chapter 12 here and we have um, the, the chronology here from what I've been able to read is, is it's kind of, you know, if, if the chronology of chapter 11 has no gaps in it, which there's no reason to assume that it would, you're looking at about 427 years, 457 years, I forget the number, I forgot to write it down, um, after the flood. So, you know, about four centuries, maybe four and a half centuries after the flood, uh, what we see here. And now we've got this guy, Abram, you know, life expectancies have gone way down and, um, We've got Abram. And what God says in verses 1 through 3, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, so that you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we look at that and we think, okay, great. This is, this is the promise that most people know about, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. But in all actuality, uh, God gave the promise to Abram slash Abraham six times, to Isaac twice and to Jacob twice, okay? So there's, there's multiple occurrences, and things do change inside of the promises. Different things are added, different things are emphasized. And so here... Um, let's, let's kind of take a look at what are some of the aspects here, um, of this promise that are, that are kind of important. So the first thing it says, it says, you know, um, he says, verse two, I will make you a great nation. So Abram being made a great nation, uh, is, is top of the list here. Now that's pretty important because he has no kids. He has no offspring. So how's he going to make him a great nation without any offspring? It's kind of setting the stage for the entire thing to move forward. He says, I will bless you, right? I will bless you. He says, I will make your name great. He says, you will be a blessing. So not only will he be blessed, he will be a blessing. Um, his name will be great. And, and think about it. Abraham, 
Abraham is a major figure in three of the world's major religions. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All of them view Abraham with great respect and reverence. Okay. So he's, he's viewed, I mean, in Christianity, I mean, all you have to do is go to, go to like Romans chapter four, and you see this, this amazing picture of, of a man of faith that we're supposed to emulate, that we're supposed to pattern ourselves after. Um, in Galatians three, we see that, uh, you know, even the Gentiles are, are included uh, in this, uh, you know, being children of Abraham by, by faith and through immersion. Uh, so, you know, Abraham is, is just viewed as this amazing individual uh, and, and someone that, that's worthy to be um, imitated in a lot of ways. Some ways, no. He did do some things that were not necessarily appropriate. Um, and when we see the, the account of the rich man and Lazarus in the Gospel of Luke, we see paradise also being called Abraham's bosom. So he's kind of like the the big guy down there, um, or was, um, when, when paradise was in place. So we see that, um, his name will be great and he shall be a blessing. And it also says, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. Now here's, here's where I think it's interesting and where it's kind of going to go for us. He says, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay. Now, even the early rabbis viewed this passage as messianic. All, pretty much all the New Testament church writers view it as messianic uh, because of how it's quoted in the New Testament. Um, and so one of the important things for us is to recognize how do we break this down and how does it change over time? Okay, so the first thing we see here in, in verse 3, it says, And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Another word for families there are clans. And then it says, Of the earth or of the land will be blessed. Later, he says in, in Genesis 22, uh, verse 18, I believe it was 22, 18. Uh, yeah, 22, 18. He says, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So there it even, it even goes a little bit further. Uh, it talks about all the nations of the earth being blessed in the seed, not seeds, but singular seed of Abraham. And we're going to get into that here in, in just a moment. So, a couple of the other uh, prophecies. Let's go ahead and, and read these as we as we move forward here. So let's go to Genesis 13. Um, actually, hold on. Uh, verse. I'm sorry. Let's go to ver uh, chapter 12, verse 7. He says, "And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land.' So there's another aspect of the promise that's that's reiterated. Um, and now let's go to chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. He says, "And the Lord said to Abram." After Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look uh, from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you have seen. I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants uh, can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, and I, for I will give it to you. So again, another aspect of the promise, specifically aspects of the land. Uh, let's see. Let's go to chapter 15. Genesis 15. And let's look at... Let's start in verse 1. He says, After these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir to my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So, very interesting there. And it goes on a little bit. You know, he says, I will, I'll give you this land to possess it. So, this specific aspect of the promise is emphasized in the fact that Abraham will have a child that will come forth from him. But notice it doesn't say Sarah. And we know how that all worked out, right? So, you know, Sarah gave him uh, Hagar and Ishmael was born and it caused a, a, a huge issue there. Now let's go to chapter 13. I'm sorry, uh, stay in 15, go to verse 13. It says, And God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you'll be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So he's again promising the land after the enslavement in Egypt. And then uh, down in verse uh, 18, and it said, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land and the, uh, in the, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. Notice something changed here. Notice what he says there. He says in verse 18, To your descendants, I have given this land. That's actually kind of a, of a theological concept um, that's called a prophetic perfect. In other words, it's a perfect, uh, so it's, it's a um, past tense verb, completed action verb for something that's going to take place in the future. So notice God had already given it to Abraham and his descendants. Okay, They just haven't possessed it yet. This is something that's really kind of cool when it comes to us. Um, there's a lot of promises that sometimes we struggle to, to believe that God's given. Um, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't. Think about Abraham. Okay, He, he doesn't have a kid yet. Um, God promised everything to him, and it says that he believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And Abraham is the example of the kind of faith we're supposed to have. So when God tells us that he's given us all of these things in the new covenant, you know, he's given us, um, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control, um, all of the different character traits that we're supposed to have. And it says that he's given those to us, all the promises that we have in scripture. And he says that he's given those to us, even though sometimes we might not even see ourselves possessing these things. If we have the faith of Abraham, we will believe God. See, and that's, that's the whole reckoning as righteous. We, we live by faith. Our entire salvation is based on the concept of faith, of believing what God says. Baptism, not a work. It is a faith thing completely because think about it, what God says. If you get dunked in water when, when you believe, repent, and confess, and you get dunked in water for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give it to you. We have to believe that. 
in order for it to work. If we don't believe that, then it's not going to work. Okay, so everything really boils down to faith, just like it did with Abraham. Okay, uh, a couple more of these, and then uh, we'll open up to some questions here. Um, chapter 18. And I'll start in verse 16. Now, this isn't necessarily, uh, you, you'll, you'll see, it's a little bit different. Um, it says, Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham uh, what I'm about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the families of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. See, so again, it's, it's not necessarily spoken to Abraham, but it's spoken for us, right? It's written down for us. So we have the benefit of, of what the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, was thinking about Abraham at this particular time. See, so in, in God's mind, everything was completely done. Of course, he had the benefit of uh, knowing all of this ahead of time. Then Genesis 22. Genesis 22 and verse number 15. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you look back at all of these, right? And we see that after the sacrifice of Isaac, or the purported sacrifice of Isaac. We see that God makes a little bit of a different promise here. And what he says is, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now in the Hebrew, that's all singular. Okay, not seeds, but seed, in your seed. And this is one of the things, and we'll get, get to this passage here in just a moment. This is one of the things that Paul actually kind of recognizes um, and through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, explains what we mean. Kind of like what Rob said earlier, we wouldn't have any idea about the flood and what it means without 1 Peter 3. We kind of would have no idea, you know, technically what this is really talking about unless Paul in, in Galatians chapter 3 really kind of lays it out there and tells us, you know, what he means by seed. But before we go there, um, any thoughts, comments, questions? It's singular. Yeah. Why does my question say descendants plural? I don't know. It <laughs> really messed me up when I compare that with Galatians chapter 3. Yeah. Yeah. Argument yeah, exactly. Um, I looked it up today. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I'm looking at it now. And, um, uh, well, actually, I'm looking at Galatians, or I'm sorry, I'm looking at Genesis. Uh, 28, 14, because we're going to go there here in just a little bit. Um, 
but in let's see and we've got we've got seed quite a bit there we've got um verse 17 let me check out verse 17 real quick um yeah it's all singular um in 17 and then in verse 18 i already looked at this one um this one's also singular yeah so what paul does is he he keys in on that concept and really kind of you know breaks out a whole thing out of there in, in galatians 3. Yeah, because sometimes seed is also, even though it's singular, it's used of a, of a plurality. Um, you know, it's, it's, it might be a singular word, but sometimes it's used as a, as a plurality. Context will tell um, kind of how it's supposed to be um, interpreted. So it is, that's what I'm saying. In, in, in this particular instance, you know, verse 17, he's obviously talking about multiple, you know, lots of people coming as a result. In verse 18, we would automatically assume he's talking about the same thing were it not for Paul saying, hold on a second, that specific part is referencing something completely different. So, you know, kind of, you know, again, kind of goes back to the illustration you use, Rob, there with the flood. Um, there's no way we, we would recognize that without Peter saying something about it. Um, in this particular case, I think we get the same thing because we would think, oh, he just means seed singular, but it's going to be all of these descendants that are going to be coming out of it. So I'm, I've been thrown off because it's all three instances of the word descendants mm-hmm. in this passage. Yep. And I'm trying to reconcile it with Galatians chapter 3, and obviously there's a... There's a discrepancy there, which I never could figure out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so where, where the discrepancy, I think, goes away is, you know, in verse 17, you could tell by the context that he's talking about a multitude of people, right? You know, because he says, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand of the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies, or the gate of their, uh, of their enemies. Now, that could also be referring to Christ, Right. I mean, does, does Christ, does his seed, um, is, is all of this spiritual? It could be. You know, for example, um, you know, I will, um, in your, let's see, it says, and multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven. Through, if, if Christ is the seed, those who come after him are multiplied as the stars of the heaven, right? Um, multitudes. Um, does Jesus possess the gates of his, en- the gate of his enemies? Sure does. You know, gates of hell cannot prevail against a church, right? So you can probably make an extrapolation that the seed in 17 is also talking about Christ. But what we really find is, is that the one in 18 definitely is talking about Christ because that's where, that's where Paul goes in Galatians. So again, I think you can make a, make a case for, for the whole thing being messianic because it does apply spiritually. Um, but we also see that 
that the multiplication of the descendants in other places to the promise to Abraham was physical. So that's where I think the context is going to make it clear uh, for us. And the way that I've always kind of kind of operated when it comes to these messianic prophecies is I put the most weight on the on the New Testament interpretations of the passages. Um, and so what Paul's kind of going through here, I mean, and think about it this way. He, he does it again in Galatians as well, doesn't he? In chapter 4, when he makes the, um, the analogy, or the, he, he uses it allegorically speaking, Sinai uh, versus Zion, right? Um, physical covenant, spiritual covenant, Hagar, Sarah. Um, so he, he's doing that throughout that, that book a little bit. Not that the seed is allegorical, uh, but... You know, he's using these these illustrations and kind of helping to interpret for us how these operate. So let's do this. Let's um let's head well a couple of things I want to mention. So in chapter 12, 3, 18, 18, um, and in 28, 14, we haven't gotten there. The Hebrew verb that's used where he talks about where they would be blessed. The Hebrew verb tense for that is what's called a, a nifal, N-I-P-H-A-L, nifal. It's a, it's a passive tense. So in other words, they will be blessed. Um, so if you bless somebody, they are blessed. They don't have any control over it. You're going to bless them. That's kind of the, the concept of the nifal. They are, um, they are blessed. They will be blessed. Somebody else is going to bless them and they will be the recipients of that blessing passive. They didn't do anything for it. But in 22.18 and in 26.4, we'll, we'll get there here in a moment. 26.4, the verb tenses are, what's, are what, what are called hitpiels, H-I-T-H. P-A-E-L, hit pael. These are reflexive. Now, what that means is that another way to, to more literally kind of translate this, if you look at verse 22, 18, I'll translate it with the, with the verb tense in mind. It says, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall regard themselves as being blessed. They shall regard themselves as blessed. So think about it this way. You could bless somebody and think about it, you've, you've done it. You've talked to people about the gospel. You've talked to people about the scriptures. And you've blessed them by doing that. But sometimes they don't feel very blessed, right? They might not believe the Bible. They might think the gospel is, is a joke. And as they look at it, you know, this is not a blessing. Um, it's one thing for, for you to bless somebody. It's another thing for them to recognize it's a blessing and to regard themselves as having been blessed by you. So... God blesses the world with his seed, Jesus Christ, to bring about salvation, justification by faith of the Gentiles, the promise of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are tremendous blessings, but majority of the world doesn't view it that way. They don't view it as being blessed. But the descendants, the descendants of Abraham, the true spiritual descendants, will regard themselves as being blessed. See, that's what that Hippiel verbs uh, um, is actually referencing. They are going to view themselves as being blessed. So the, the nifal passive, they will be blessed, that's, that's objective. That's, that's a matter of fact. They are blessed whether they recognize it or not. Um, the subjective is 
I feel like I'm blessed. I recognize that I'm blessed. I know that I'm blessed. I recognize this myself. So the, that, I think that's kind of cool that in, he, he brings out this hit pile when he's talking about the seed, when he's talking about Christ. So when Christ enters the picture through the prophecy, the people who recognize who the seed actually is are just going to view themselves as being blessed. And, and I tell you what, we are blessed. And with the world as crazy as it is right now, with everything that's going on, um, we really, it's, it's, it's the way that we stay sane. We recognize that we're blessed, which is kind of preemptive for us to be able to give thanks. Now, why, why is, and, and again, there's a little bit of preaching involved here. Sorry about that. Um, sorry, not sorry, I guess. Um, when, we, when we get to the concept of giving thanks, I want you to see how important this is. On our way to Galatians, let's turn to Romans chapter 1 for a second. I want to show you the importance of thankfulness. Romans chapter 1. We know Romans chapter 1, you know, starting in verse 18, you know, hey, the wrath of God is revealed against, you know, from, from heaven against all ungodliness uh, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, right? I mean, then he starts going down this huge, horrible descent of mankind. Where did it start? That's the question. Where did it start? So let's, let's pay attention. Verse 21 well, first of all, verse 20, since the creation of the world, uh, his invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse, right? For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of God, or sorry, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and the form of corruptible man and a bird's four-footed creature or four-footed animals crawling creatures. Where did it start? Verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. If you don't regard yourself as being blessed, you're not going to give thanks. If you don't give thanks, you start to become hard-hearted. And you will go down a path that leads to destruction. When Paul gives the divine assessment as to what kicked everything off for the descent of mankind. They didn't honor God as God, and they didn't give thanks. See, so that's why it's exceedingly important. And that's why the New Testament tells us to give thanks constantly. Um, but it's also exceedingly important because this is where Thanksgiving comes from, the recognition that we are blessed. So important, so important. Thoughts or comments on that before? Uh, and again, we're, we're, we'll head over to Galatians chapter 3 here next. All right, Galatians 3. We are blessed just from having the understanding of the word. Yep. That everyone else is not, obviously. Yeah, I mean, they, they sure can understand it, but uh, when, when it all depends on, on what kind of glasses you look at it through, right? What kind of worldview, presuppositions, biases. Um, God's looking for honest people who are going to look at the Word of God completely honestly 
And whatever it throws back as the reflection and the assessment, the humble person, the honest person is going to accept that. All right, Galatians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 6 here. Um, he says, Even so Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith uh, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Because that's where, that's where we started from, right? You know, as we, as we started to, to move along, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. Then he moves along and says, all the nations will be blessed in you. And Paul's bringing this out and he's saying, look, part of this blessing, he says, is that the, Abraham had the gospel preached to him saying that the Gentiles would be justified by faith, right? That's, a, that's an enormous concept. Um, the fact that the Gentiles were justified by faith the fact that the Jews were justified by faith, you know, not by law keeping, which is the, the, the premise of, of uh, Galatians itself. But if we, if we head over to, to verse number uh, 19, sorry, 15, uh, he says, brethren, I speak in human term, or sorry, I speak in human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises are spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, referring to many, but rather to one, into your seed, that is Christ. So what I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. So looks like from, from you know, kind of going back there to what we were talking about earlier, if we're going to be consistent with Galatians, anytime he mentions seed, he's, obviously, he's referring to Christ. So... That Genesis twenty two seventeen and 18, even though it's looking like it's going for multitudes there in physical, which somebody could make that claim. You look at that, that's exactly what it's going to look like. If we interpret it through the light of Galatians chapter 3, what we're going to find is that that seed is singular, which it is in the Hebrew, and he's referring to Christ. So, you know, the descendants of Christ are going to be as the sand of the seashore. Um the descendant, Christ and his descendants are going to, to conquer the gate of their enemies. Um, and through that seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, so that's really what he's getting at there. And so Paul does a, does a phenomenal job through the Holy Spirit of giving us a really clear picture of what that looks like. All right, questions, comments on that part. I've got a little bit more to, to cover here before we're done with the patriarchal promise here because uh, we're going to move over to um, Isaac and Jacob. Just want to get those done real quick. Anything else, though? All right, uh, let's head back to Genesis 26. We're going to do a little bit of rapid fire here uh, toward the end so that I can make sure I get everything in. Genesis 26. All right, so we've got all the promises made to Abram, Abraham. Now we need to do the promises made to Isaac. Um, so let's look at verse number two. This is God appearing to Isaac. The Lord appeared to him and said, Genesis, sorry, I'm in Genesis 26, 2. 
The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants, again, that seed as the stars of the heavens, and they uh, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants, uh, sorry, and by your descendants, the nation nations of the earth shall be blessed because of Abraham obeyed my obeyed me and kept my uh, charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So, sure looks like what God's doing there is He's intermingling some of the stuff there with the seed. Which is why I think it's really important that in Galatians 3, he specifically mentions the promise to Abraham in, in regard to that. So here again, we're seeing, um, by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Um, and then over to... Um, let's go to chapter 28. Trying to see what I have time to go over and what I need to cut out. So... Chapter 28, and let's look at verse number 14. He says, Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in, and in you and in your descendants shall be shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again, that word for is seed there, right? Singular. So we're seeing this familiar concept. Now, why are we seeing it like this? Again, Abraham and then trimming it down to Isaac, not Ishmael, and then trimming it down to Jacob and not uh, Esau. Uh, so he's, he's systematically letting us know where this is coming from and how this is going to be rolled out. So one of the things I think it's really important about Messianic prophecy in, in, in what it does, again, proving the Bible to be the Word of God, you don't just take one messianic prophecy and put it up and say, look at all the proof here. You can. I mean, something like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, really, really great things. But we also have the prophecies being strung together, which creates a really, really valuable piece. It's not just one prophecy here, one prophecy there. It's a whole bunch of prophecies linked together in the fact that it goes from from Abraham or sorry from the seed of woman to possibly Shem to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob we're seeing that systematic rollout there and, and that's exactly how it happened it's exactly how it happened and next week when we get into Genesis 49 and we start dealing with the concept of uh, Judah and what role Judah plays really again very powerful that out of all of these brothers, he, he nails down what the kingly line is going to be and how it's going to roll forward. So um, some of the other aspects, you know, the, the New Testament uh, likens the promises to, made to, to Abraham in many different ways. Um, I'm going to just throw out some verses here. In Luke chapter 1, 68 through 75, it's uh, linking it to the, to the coming of Christ and what he was going to do. In Acts chapter 13, verses 32 and 33, the, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Um, in Acts chapter 3, 25 and 26, the conversion 
uh, of sinners in Galatians 3.8. We just read that, the justification of the Gentiles. And in Galatians 3.14, uh, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So this promise made to Abraham is, is listed all over the place uh, throughout everything. All right, I'm going to stop there. Uh, for tonight, any closing thoughts or comments? As uh, we got about three minutes left. All right, I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording. So hold on one second here. This conference is no longer being recorded. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rob.